peace, peace, and yet there is no peace. George Whitfield, known for one of the great evangelists of the Great Awakening uh, in the 1800s here in the United States, wrote a sermon and preached a sermon actually called The Method of Grace. And he utilized that scripture found in Jeremiah 6.14 as a reference for his message. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Woodville says the greatest scourge on a people is a pastor or a minister who is complacent. One who does not preach the word. One who does not preach the truth. One who just preaches a good message. Who gives people a false peace. I am thankful that Eric is not like that. Amen? I've been challenged by Eric's, not only his life, but his good messages. I'm not saying just that they are good, but they are good. They've disturbed me. The gospel of Jesus Christ ought to wreck our lives to the core. If you can read the truth of God's word without feeling conviction, and at the same time, a feeling of a raptured glory of the truth being set free in you, then you might want to check your pulse. Right now, we talked about the Gaza Strip. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have peace in the Gaza? My friends, there is peace in the Gaza. It's deeper than what we see on the outside. It's deeper than the absence of war. The New Testament word for peace, I won't try to say the Greek word, but it talks about a personal state of peace, a relational peace with God, and even the absence of war and conflict. But the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, is deeper. It's an amazing word. If you ever have a chance to study a word, study shalom and what it means. Often the Hebrews will use it as a greeting of meaning wellness. It's a pronunciation of wellness on somebody. In the verb, it means to be complete, to make sound. In the noun, it's a being of contentment or tranquility. It's a friendship of covenant of peace. It's an absence of war. And it's interesting because the prophets in the Old Testament often use this word shalom as they look to when the Messiah would come. And they seen it as an ethical word. When war will cease, when the sword will be beaten into the plowshare, when the weapons will be destroyed and no more need, and the foe is vanquished, but here's the interesting thing that happens. That foe is not vanquished because they are defeated. 
but because they are won over. Isn't that beautiful? Because they choose to follow the Messiah. There's a oneness be underneath. There's a peace. There's a shalom. There's a completeness under the Messiah. Jesus Christ, our Lord. My friends, this morning I want to talk about experiencing peace in our souls. A peace that is greater than our fears. A peace that is greater and beyond our knowledge. My thesis this morning, if you don't hear anything else, this is my sermon in a nutshell. So I'm going to take probably about 30, 40 minutes here to explain my thesis. But if you can't listen that long, write this down. I'll repeat it about four times in my sermon, but listen to what this is. My thesis is if we want peace in our souls, I'm not talking just in our spirit. We automatically have peace with God in our spirits, but I'm talking in our mind, our will, and our emotion. If we want peace in our soul, we must know salvaic grace through the faith in Jesus Christ. We must mourn sin and evil through righteousness in Jesus Christ. And we must glorify Christ's work through our redeemed nature. This morning, I'm going to share with you from my heart. I wish I could come and share with you from my head. I wish I had some great encouraging message that I could deliver in 20 minutes and walk away from here and everybody feel good about themselves, including me. That's not the message God gave me. I, <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I feel very weak this morning. It's not just because I'm 58 either. Besides, I could take a seat since I'm a little older now. Maybe I need a little help up here. But I've been 50 years with Jesus. My mom led me to the Lord at seven years old one night as I lay in my bed, afraid of hell. And I began my walk with Jesus 50 years ago. Thank you. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. I want to talk out of my life right here. I, 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 I want to talk about who God has worked in me, what he has done in me, what... But anyways, <laughs> I wish that these words... Right, let me say this way. I hope this message makes you as uncomfortable as what the Spirit of God wants you to be this morning. And there's a chance you'll argue with some of my premise. It's okay. And there's a good chance that you will relate to some of what I say. Fifty years and I've stumbled, I've had my doubts and fears, I've been battered and bloodied by the battles both within and without. And I have been faithful. I've been faithful to my Lord. Not as faithful as he is to me. But I have been faithful. Josh Ice uh, had a sermon here several months ago and he talked about when he gets anxious that he gives it to God. 
gave several examples of that, and I found myself, well, it, it's festered in me, Josh. That, that sermon's festered in me. It's a good thing. Because I, I find myself more anxious than I want to be. I, I find myself, and I can't crawl on your skin, so I don't know how anxious you feel, but I feel anxious. Too much. Too much of the time I get tired and wore out because of stress and anxiety in my life. And here's a young man saying, well, I'll give it to God. <laughs> you think after 50 years with Jesus, I can do that, right? <laughs> well, I still struggle with that. Merrick had this message on uh, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. You know, the, the miracle that Peter never asked for. That was his joke. I don't know if you got that or not. But, <laughs> but I love that message. And his premise was found in Matthew 8, 15. He says, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Eric talked about the healing and the touch. How there's so much healing in touch. But what struck me was when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, she got up and began to wait on him. How many times do I pray for miracles in my life? How many times do I pray for my own healing just so that I am more comfortable? So my life's a little more easy. And even pray for sometimes for you guys just because well, if you heal them, I won't have to take them a meal. I won't have to serve them. You know what I mean? Just make them better. It's hard sometimes in this world. And we, we just, I don't know if you struggle with that. but uh, And I find it so interesting that, that her healing, it was so natural for her just to get up and begin to serve Jesus and the others in the house. And that's true. When we find a true healing in our heart, that's what we desire, Right? We want to serve. We want to give out. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing. But that's bothered me a bit because mm, I'm too selfish sometimes. <laughs> and now we have this series on Ephesians about flourishing. Oh, great. How many of you feel like you flourish? <laughs> there we go. We got one. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> There's times of it, isn't there? There's times you feel really good in the Spirit of God, and there's other times that life is just, well, it's day to day. <laughs> you say, Dennis, why are you sharing all this? Why are you telling me this? Is it because I need therapy, and this is my big therapy class, and uh, you know, we're all together here? You know, how are you feeling today? Huh? Anybody feeling anxious? Now, I do need therapy, but that's not what it's about. Is it because I doubt the words that I'm about to speak to you? No. Emphatically, no. I believe what I'm going to say to you is true. I stake my life on it. I would die for these words. So I know they're true. Is it because... I want you to relate to my human side and as some ploy to get you to relate to me? No. 
Is it because after 50 years of Jesus, I'm still learning and growing? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still learning and growing, but that's not the depth of it. Because after 50 years of, of being with Jesus, I continue to find Jesus faithful in my life in the midst of living in an evil and broken world. You see, I believe that Jesus shines brighter in our broken humanness than he does in our perceived human success. Matter of fact, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from God us second corinthians 4 7 but deeper than that it's for me it's about being vulnerable to you as a brother and a sisterhood if i can't come and sit here and tell you where i'm at in my life with jesus then i break fellowship i'm not worthy of your trust It's about vulnerability, friends. So, again, my premise this morning. Well, before that, don't forget, though, that the Spirit leads in the evangelist. Don't forget that there is power in the word spoken. There is healing in the message. There is power in the jars of clay. If you want to be have peace in your soul, we must know the grace of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We must mourn sin and the evil through righteousness in Jesus Christ, and we must glorify Christ's work through our redeemed nature. Grace of salvation. If you find in your scripture, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 2 that was read for you, because I'm going to work out of this scripture. Verses 4 to 6 say, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God's loving kindness, this word in the Old Testament is said. God's loving kindness. It came to us. There's a but here. Excuse the humor, but it's a big but. Except, stops us. Why is this true? But, the first four verses go through the decadence of our life. What we came out of, Daryl said, we don't know all his story, right? Thank God there's a but in Scripture, right? Right? There's a change, there's a point, there's a crisis point in which we come to when we decide that it is true what God has said. But greater in that is the grace point in which God brings that truth into our life, that God steps in and says, but I could throw you out, God says, but your sin deserves death, but But God's great love 
but for God who is rich in mercy, but for God made us alive in him. And when did God love us? When did God show us mercy? When did God make us alive? It says even, and this is a stretch to the next word, when, at a time, what kind of time? When we were dead, without life, spiritually dead, inactive to do right, destitute of force and power, inactive, inoperable, in our sin, our misdeeds, because of the fall and because of the judgment that is on us. We were incapable. Dead. Dead is dead. I don't know what else you can make out of the word. No life. And God moves in his kindness and his mercy. I love this word mercy. It's elos which means kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help. Did you catch that? Kindness and goodwill when we were miserable and afflicted. That was our state. And why did God move? Why did God show us mercy? Because he wanted to. My kids, when I asked them, why did you do that? They'll look at me and say, because I wanted to. <laughs> well, what do you say to that? <laughs> it's honest. It's true, right? But why did God do it? Because he wanted to. He didn't have to. He wanted you. That's what God wanted, is you. That's why he moved in his grace. That's why he came. Grace alone, it's repeated in 2.8, also says, by grace you have been saved. The unmerited favor of God. We've been saved. We've been rescued. We've been taken away from danger. We've been rescued from destruction. We've been rescued from a sin that evilly destroys us. Every one of us knows exactly what sin does in our life. Every one of us has walked that road. And it destroys us. We don't need anybody outside to destroy us. We will destroy our own lives left to our own self. Whatever your self-preserve, uh, the thing you use to preserve yourself, ends up being actually the very thing that kills you. Because that's what sin is what evil is. But there's an interesting, there's part of this idea of saving that means to keep safe and sound. Isn't that beautiful? It reminds me of a, a good structure, a sturdy house. Psalms 91 says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, this is my refuge and my fortress. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Salvation of God is a strong tower. It's a refuge. But not only does God save us, but what does the next verses say? He raises us up. He puts us into the heavenly realm. Salvation is just not just a rescue from sin. Salvation is a position in Christ. We are not just saved from, we are saved to. To relationship with God. Sons and daughters, a place of victory and rest. Salvation is possible, my friends, because Jesus took the same journey. Don't miss this, okay? Eric read last week, and in his sermon last week, he talked about the fact that Jesus Christ was raised into the heavenlies, right? He came to this earth and was born of a woman, born in the sin-cursed world. He walked this earth and taught us how to live, but his word, this world hated him and rejected him. The essence, Jesus died with a curse on a cross. He was dead in our transgressions and sins. He lay lifeless in a tomb because of your and my sins. But he did not stay there because he was perfect and holy. He was raised. Ephesians 1:18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is the same of the, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over everything in the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In the scripture, we're told that Jesus is our first fruit. He's the one who went before us. We travel the same journey. The salvation, when we walk through salvation, it is the same act as what Jesus did for us on the cross. We lay down our lives. We surrender ourselves because of our sin. But because we're imperfect, we can't die for ourselves. We needed him to die in our stead. 
and to bring us new life. But that's not the end of the story. You're raised into the heavenlies. You're seated with him in power and authority where everything is under his feet, subjective to Christ Jesus. And that is our position. No matter what sin we're facing, no matter what we have in front of us, And my friends, if you have come to that knowledge, if you have made this step and you believe this truth, for grace you are saved through faith. If you had made that more than just a believing decision, but putting a conviction of truth, the idea of trusting God in that, then you have peace. That's the source of our peace, right? My thesis this morning is, I want, if we want to have peace in our soul, we must know the grace of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We must mourn sin and evil through righteousness in Jesus Christ, and we must glorify Christ's work through our redeemed nature. Should we have a stretch time? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to wait a little deeper here. If we look at the beginning of this chapter, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them one time gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nature, not by nature deserving of wrath. Church, we serve a holy God. Don't forget we serve a holy God. George Whitfield, again in his sermon, The Method of Grace, states that if we're not convinced of our sin, we speak peace to our souls, but there is no Have we felt the weight of our sin? There's a high price for our sins. Not only on us, but those around us. Sin is a service, a service to the ruler of the kingdom of the air or as the King James says, the prince of the power of the air. Our world tells us that the way to deal with our sin is to pass blame. Remember two people in a perfect garden by the name of Adam and Eve? They did a really good job of passing blame once they sinned, didn't they? We've learned well from them. We are far-sighted creatures. It is so much easier to see the sin of others than our own. And I will say, my friends, pain and hurt comes from people's sin. People who have done you wrong, people who have hurt you, some maliciously, some unknowingly, but it never gives us an excuse to excuse our sin.
Pain is not an excuse to excuse our sin. See, my friends, I can be a very proud, selfish man. I'd really like you guys to really like me. I would. I'm proud enough to think that I could do a lot of good things. I could run my company better than my boss. Kind of proud, isn't it? It's so easy when we hurt to excuse sin. But church, we cannot bypass the fact that what we have done as vile creatures is in the need of salvation. We must be broken by our sin. If we don't, if we excuse our sin, we'll preach false peace to our soul. But Whitfield even says we need to go deeper with the conviction not only of our own personal sin that we have committed, but we must go deeper than that. We were dead in sin. Not only did we satisfy the cravings of our flesh, but we have a sin condition. Whitfield speaks of the original sin, born under the curse of original sin. This is the idea of the unregenerated human beings. We cannot do anything that is not under this curse. Dead means dead, without life, destitute. My friends, we see heinous acts of violence on our screen day after day. We see it in Israel. We see it in the Gaza. We see it in America. It's been mentioned. But we also see it in our movies. Halloween's coming. How many movies will you sit down and watch that glorify death, violence, fear, horror? We laugh at it. We should be broken by it. Because that's our heart. That's my heart. Left alone, that's me. Don't ever think you're not capable of the worst cotton-picking sin you can find. That's pride. Shame on you. I don't want to shame people. Sorry. I'll take that one back. Because godly sorrow is what leads to repentance, not shame. There used to be a phrase that went around the Christian church, as for there go I. In other words, don't look down on anybody because that could be you. Are we broken by that? Are we broken by the evil of our heart, the capability that our evil heart has? Maybe you are much more righteous than I because I still have thoughts that are murderous at times. That are ugly at times. Because my heart will mislead me. The world says, follow your heart. Guess where that'll take you. 
They need to be broken by the sin condition we're in. This world's evil should make us weep. Where are you at, my friends? Have you accepted the grace of salvation? Are you seated in the heavenly realms with Christ? Have you been grieved by your own sin, repented, and found peace with God? Is there peace in your soul? Have you been grieved by the evil of this world, the evil that continues to bombard our homes? I mean deeper than the impact it has on us. That the evil that resides in this heart of mine, that this nature I am born with, that this death that desires to swallow my peace, has this journey brought us to the foot of the cross where Jesus shed blood? Gives his life really to, for our escape of this evil. Have we found the unfathomable peace at the cross? Amen. Maybe you still struggle with that. I know I do at times. If you have not, then you speak peace, peace to your soul, but there is no peace. Once again, my thesis is, if you want peace in your soul, we must know grace, salvation through the faith in Jesus Christ. We must mourn the wickedness of our sin and the sin of our condition. And we must glorify Christ's work through our redeemed nature. Say, what do you mean by that, Dennis? Well, let's look at the last part of these verses. And God raised us up with Christ, seated him with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Why did God save us? Remember from earlier on? Why did God save us? He wanted to. Guess what? He wants to save your neighbor too. He wants to save other people too. That's the heart of God. He wants to. In order in this coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. We are his trophies. We are what he holds up to the world and says, see? See what I can do? Isn't that awesome? Oh, I can't witness. Good. Then shut your mouth and live your life. Because an opportunity will come when you can share the gospel. That's why it's important to live a holy life. That's why it's important to allow the faith of God to, what is the word? Ooze out of us. Do you know what my pride does, though? <laughs> I want to be a shiny trophy. Forget these little jars of clay. God, how about a nice little God, gold vase for me, okay? I'd like to be a gold vase that shines nice and bright. Or maybe one of these, what, a Ming Dynasty vases or whatever they are, or those ones that are white with the little blue stuff on them. 
really pretty. That's what I want to be. I want to look really nice, right? Ah, uh, in God's eyes. <laughs> well, thank you. 58 isn't so bad then, huh? <laughs> no. We spend way too much time shining up our little clay pots, my friends. Because where does the glory come from? Where does the power come from? Not from a shiny pot. from the clay. And how many times have I jumped off the master's wheel and how many little defects are in my clay pot? How many times have I fallen and broken and God has put me back together? And there might be these little holes in my life. Every one of you, if you know me, can pick me apart. Every one of you can find fault in my life because I have imperfections. But that's where God shines out. That's where the power of God is glorified. Through our imperfections. We think it's when we're nice and polished, when we have the good clothes on, when we're looking good, right? No. It's when we're broken. When we have a lot of pain and we still reach out and show mercy and grace to those around us because we have been shown mercy and grace. My friends, have we been broken by our own self-righteousness? That's what Whitfield says the next step is. If you want peace in your soul, you have to be broken by your righteousness. Do you know what Isaiah calls them? What he calls your righteousness, my righteousness? Filthy rags. <laughs> yeah, ouch. But worse than that, it's menstrual cloths. It's unclean. It's unmentionable. When do you ever show off your feminine hygiene products? Especially used ones. They, ooh, gross, right? But that's yours and mine's righteousness. That's how bad it stinks. And we want to hang it all over the place. We want to put plaques on the wall. We want to say, look at us, how good I am. Boy, that Dennis, he's a good preacher. Yay! I used to covet that. Sometimes I still do. Who am I? I'm God's son. I'm redeemed. But that's where we glory from, is the redemption that's in us. Not who we are, but what God has done in us and what he has made out of us. The glory that comes through us is beautiful. It's what shows people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are here today because a friend looked at you and smiled and became a friend to you. And the ooze of Jesus came out of them to the point where you said, wow, I want to be like that. But it only comes out when we're willing to not polish the pot and willing to be open and honest and vulnerable to people. I'm beginning to hate that word. 
That's hard. Important stuff, though, right? Where are you at on this? Are you still reveling in your own self-righteousness? My friends, have you come to the conviction that our righteousness does us no good, that we cannot trust ourselves to do good? We cannot speak peace, peace, because there is no peace. But George Woodfield takes us one step further, and he says in his sermon, The Method of Grace, that only, if we only do, not only do we need to be convinced by our personal sin, original sin, and our own righteousness, we need to be convicted of unbelief. Say, what? Fun belief. Verse 2, 6, and God says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, Christian, in Christ Jesus. And again, I won't reread chapter 1. It talks about the power that comes from the resurrection, the mighty strength that exerted when Christ was raised from the dead, raised him into the heavenlies, and we are joined with him. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, do you believe that? Do you believe the power of Jesus Christ? Or is that something for 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth and his disciples? My friends, this is where I fall. I have peace with God through salvation. I, I can testify to that. It's been 50 years walking with God, and I have peace in that. I know where my soul is going. I have and am been broken by sin and evil. I have come to the cross and found peace. But do I still believe I need grace every day? After 50 years with Jesus, there comes a time in which, you know, sometimes I think I can just do it. Being honest. How many times do I still try to do only what God and His Holy Spirit can do? How many of you have tried to change somebody in your life? How does it work? In the words of Phil, how's that going for you, right? Whose work is that? Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. But you know what? I think I could be a pretty good Holy Spirit sometimes. How many times do I drive people from the gospel because of this? Right here, my mouth. Because I think I can bring conviction to them. I think they need to hear what I have to say. I think I can make them change. You know what the truth is? I can. You can. You can change the people in your life. But it's not with your words and acting like the Holy Spirit. It's in surrender. Giving yourself to God. And allowing him to work through you. It's being vulnerable to those people around you. Yes, there's that word again. Because they see Jesus a whole lot more when you're open and say, you know what? I haven't always done things right. I'm sorry in our relationship. I have not always been the father I need to be to you. 
the brother, the friend. Second thing I do is <sighs> I still do not lay hold of the power in the position of Christ in my life. There's still that doubt. Well, he'll move for Matt because he likes Matt better than me. Right? Do I grab a hold of the power that God has given me? Not for me. Not for my good. But for his. Do I hold on to that? If we're not convicted of our own righteousness and our own unbelief, then we can speak to our hearts, peace, peace, but there is no peace. I must glorify Christ through my redeemed nature, not who I am in this flesh, but who I am in Jesus Christ. We had a beautiful illustration of what it means to be with Christ, in Christ, right? Sponge can't be in the water without the water being in the sponge. Am I convinced of this? Do we trust this? George Whitfield states in the method of grace, lay hold upon the perfect righteousness, the all-sufficient righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must lay hold by faith on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and then you shall have peace. Oh, my soul, hear those words. Lay hold upon the perfect righteousness, the all-sufficient righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You must lay hold by faith on the righteousness of of Jesus Christ and then you shall have peace there's nothing more than I want peace in my soul as I look at my family and see some of the chaos that's involved in my family I desire peace in my family but my friends it won't come until there's peace in my soul I know we don't talk much about repentance in church anymore. My friends, what do you need to repent of? I'm not talking some foo-foo sin over there. I'm talking, do you need to repent of self-righteousness and unbelief? As I do. I give it to God and I take it back. I give it to God and I take it back. I give it to God and I take it back. Let's end in a prayer. Hebrews 13, 20, 21 says, Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord 
Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good, everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.